Here we go, from Western North Dakota, the men and women in blue coming right at you, straight off the cuff. Um, episode number three, and we are continuing the upgrade here. Lieutenant Hanel, uh, looks like we got the video rocking and rolling. I was questioned last time about video, but they didn't see our faces. We'll give it a shot this time. Sure. Yeah, it looks it looks good. It's pretty amazing in here. Although I am kind of it, making an initial regret not bringing a phone book or a, a booster seat in or something because there's a definite size disparity going on here. Yeah, I'll try to get the hunch check <laughs> going here. Well, and I think for the yeah for those yeah, yeah the audio listeners only uh, you know Kylan's our uh, our tank for the department uh, you know former Blue Hawk uh, linebacker and puts up a mean bench and me not so much. Yeah. Well, the. Uh, um, for those that are watching, it's uh, we're obviously continuing to move forward. Lieutenant Hanel here, kind of got the Mad Mixer thing for us and looking at different ways to improve the production of the show for you guys. And I think, uh, Mike, you talked about just you, you want feedback. You want feedback from our listeners and our viewers. And Yeah, absolutely. Any uh, topics they want to have us talk about. And anything's off the cuff, really. That's, that's what we want to get. Yeah, I, and I, I look at it as too as like you know we are uh, we are serving you guys in, in a good good portion of what we're doing, and so what you guys want to hear and see, and we're, we're definitely going to try to work that stuff in as this thing uh, continues to progress forward and and build in. So, I suppose uh, even before we get started, though, it's a uh, congratulations go out to your officially Lieutenant uh, Clouser now. You're kind of joining the admin wing back there, giving me some more company with. Uh, uh, we had uh, uh, Captain Wilkie retire back in November, and uh, us as a department were kind of figuring out what to do with that captain position with the, the administrative uh, uh, stuff that's involved with that. And as uh, much programming and stuff as our department was involved with, uh, I think it was made by the determination that, uh, yeah, we need to expand us a little bit to make us uh, more efficient. And uh, the, uh, the concept of uh, expanding our lieutenants w- was uh, put on the table. Yeah, it, I mean, to say I'm not excited would be, um, it would be an understatement. I mean, so I'm just, I'm, Really, really thrilled and, and humbled and uh, said, you know, when we got up there and we talked in front of the group, it's just, you know, it's much more about what everybody else has done for you than what you have done for yourself. And the older you get, I guess, from my take. And so I uh, appreciate, you know, the, the things you've uh, contributed to, to my career over time, uh, Mike, and, and uh, those in the department and the opportunities that kind of been bestowed. And so and this opportunity is just the same. Looking looking forward to it and has been has been fun. The hallway has been a lot chattier, it seems like. Um, uh, in the last month so yeah good stuff to come ahead uh, so we're joined by lieutenant matt hansen too he was a patrol sergeant he's the, uh, the third lieutenant that uh, that, that uh, rounded out he's uh, he's gonna be taking over patrol more or less yeah and i mean if we talk about if we had him in here he, he would be making me look like a midget to him he's about <laughs> six six uh tall fellow he is um and so it's a, it's kind of an interesting dynamic i think it's a good mix of personalities um you and I have talked a lot about this and how we can best serve, you know, the community and each one of our capacities. And and I think we're all there's there's it seems like there's a good uh, ra- radical transparency and a kind of an a- idea meritocracy that's that's going on right now. And uh, that's really exciting. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And uh, uh, I'm kind of excited to see what you've already got done uh, so far, even with, even with the training aspect. So that's going to be kind of your wheelhouse. It's going to be a lot of the in-house training and uh uh, some of the supervision over over kind of what you were with the CIU and task force and whatnot, and uh, I, myself, I kind of retain the the PR stuff of it, uh, you know, the, the PIO, and then uh, 
also the recruitment and retention, which kind of segues right into kind of this first thing I kind of wanted to talk about here in, in segment one is uh, is just uh, how, what we're doing as a department to recruit and retain the best and, and brightest uh, officers that we can get. Yeah, I really I really like the idea that you had here, and I think that you intend on doing some, some things more like this, that engaging and trying to draw from uh, community folk. But that uh, uh, our, if anybody... Um, that did not see it. Uh, we recently had a poll um, Mikey put together and, and put it out there on our Facebook page. And and for those, again, our poll, like, you know, there's, a, you know, we're about 23,000 served, but uh, Mike and over time, um, the, the, the quality and the investment into that, I mean, we're sitting at 12,000 followers. Yeah, I, yeah. About that many likes and yep. yeah, and I know that you know some of those numbers that you give and take on on both ends of it, but it's like I think it's extremely impressive considering we're serving a community at twenty three thousand, um, and and we it never it never fails to amaze me that the the response and the attention pe- people are paying attention and they're and they're watching and uh, we get a lot of compliments and every now and then we'll get our negative uh, feedbacks uh, back, which we we just appreciate the honest the honesty nonetheless. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, this, this poll that you had put together, Mike, maybe you could just give a little bit of your concept behind that. Too. Yeah, sure. So it's not a scientific poll by any means. So they're, they're, the sampling poll was just kind of whoever came across and, and agreed to complete it. And the question we had asked, we, we wanted to know, if it weren't for fill in the blank, I would be an officer. I'd be a police officer. We were just trying to put some feelers out there what's what's preventing people nowadays especially uh you know in today's climate what's what's preventing them from clicking the submit button and sending that application in uh you know us as a department we've uh i don't want to say chronically understaffed but we get we get redline yeah, pretty close um and it seems like we we have openings every every couple months uh, uh you know oftentimes retirements and in this case you know uh, just promotions and, and, and making movement and whatnot um but well, let's, uh, let's, let's just jump in on you mate tell what do you think, if we had to guess, I don't know the hard one, the last time that we had a closed application field and we were not taking applications? Yeah, I remember specifically that time. It was about 2014, and uh, uh, remember uh, Ben, uh, Ben Schumann. Yeah, he was, yeah uh, little Ben. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was the last, uh, last officer that we had hired. We were full staff for two weeks, and I believe somebody, uh, somebody left right after that. So, yeah, that was, pretty, that was 2014. That was the last Seven years. back I could. A little while ago, yeah. so and, and it's not necessarily unique to Dickinson. You know, I, I think it's uh, um, a lot of the times when, when officers leave our department, we have them do exit interviews. So we, we get some feedback as far as you know why, why they're leaving and whatnot. Overwhelmingly, it's they wish they could take our department with them, and that's that's not to be you know braggadocious or you know really talking stuff. But I think we're doing right. a lot of stuff right as a department. It's just the uh, a lot of different uh, variables of why they choose to leave the profession or, or, or leave the department for, uh, for a different area. So we, we kind of wanted, that's, that was kind of the purpose. I kind of just wanted to see uh, what this poll is, you know, what's, what's driving people for, for not wanting to, to uh, you know, click that submit button on, on the application. So I put out a, uh, uh, a poll on Facebook here. Uh, we had about 50-some-odd uh, responses. And we, we had the option of, uh, you know, is it, is it a danger level? Is it pay, uh, the hours worked? Um, the, obviously, the, the the profession climate as as it no is doubt. across the nation right now, um, you know, or the criminal history background, and then I did put an other in there, which unfortunately I, I, I kind of wish I wouldn't have done, because uh, that was the, the top uh, uh, the top poll was 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 other, and when we asked people that if you do uh, if you did select other, you know, put in the comments below what uh, what what the reasoning was, and and I didn't get a whole lot of sampling off of that, and there were some you know medical issues or or uh, maybe some uh, family members that they're associated with that yeah. that aren't. Uh, conducive to law enforcement so um 
so that was a tough one to gauge. But uh, the very first one, though, is, is the danger level was the one that, uh, that, that seemed like it stuck out a little bit. Yeah, I, I, the thing that we always battle in each one of these, I mean, there's so much stuff, uh, bad information that's out there. I mean, that, that article, I think it, this is morning where they had a chance to click on or just not it's in the inbox talking about different ways to, uh, to approach this whole conversation moving forward with technology and, and video marketing and recruiting and stuff. And we definitely have our hands full with getting creative. And uh, I think this poll, uh, maybe just, you know, like I said, it's not scientific by any means, but it definitely helps us, you know, for we know the locals are the ones that are following us, our communities, you know, and so we get a little bit of an idea on, on, on what they're thinking there. Right. But, you know, you know, to, 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 let's go outside of our, the other, which, yeah, I mean, but our, our number, uh, number two on the list going danger level uh, with it. And so uh, we're going to have a, uh, our, our first, um, I guess what you want to call our get-to-know officer uh, guest here in a little bit, Sergeant Jeremy Mosier, our longest tenured sergeant, sitting on about 13 years with us, and, and he'll be able to talk about um, some stories related to this topic, uh, uh, both different ways. But uh, so stay tuned for that for that are listening right out of the gates. But the um, you know some 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 points here that you put down. I mean, just number one out of the gates, talking statistics. People that want to look at the numbers, it's you know driving in your vehicle, driving in the oil field, uh, more dangerous. I would, you know, especially at the height of the boom there, when, when Highway 22, you go up 4.30 in the morning, and it was a constant stream of traffic, and, and the amount of crashes and injury crashes that we were going to, uh, quite frankly, that, I, I think that was more dangerous at that time to be driving on the roadways in, in oil country than it was to be a police officer here, and, and I think that's still the same today, even though the, you know, the traffic might be down. Uh, so, you know, part of it is just to, just to really put that back into perspective, you know, the, the you know, media is, is kind of a driving factor of that, you know, if it, if it bleeds, it leads, so, you know, Citizens are constantly bombarded with, you know, with, with the danger level for, for law enforcement. And no doubt, there is, there is an element of danger. We don't want to discount that at all. But for the vast majority of, of officers killed in the line of duty, uh, when you compare that statistically to you know, cab drivers or, or farmers or whatnot, uh, you know, the ratio is, is extremely low. And uh, that pairs into you know, how we approach that is you know, we, we give the best training and the best equipment to our officers in order to keep them safe. Yeah, I, uh, you know, yeah, you get over 200 million contacts in a year, you know, in, in a country that's 300 and between 330, maybe 350 million people. And I just, it's uh, from, from the safety end of it, you just think that uh, people, I don't think actually the hard numbers being like on, on use of force in those situations that are always upspinned in the media, um, they're, as far as the rate goes, extremely low. Right, like extremely low the the amount of incidents that we have to uh, that we deal with on a day to day that uh, require some sort of use of force. I mean, when when I say low, I mean I'm talking down into the you know one percent ish, you know, give or take on that uh, statistical significance. But the um, yeah, and when when up at the university and stuff, talking uh, from time to time uh, during the instruction with the young kids in the criminal justice field, it's 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 a big misbetrayal sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'll talk about you know their perception on uh, some of them. They, they just think it's like the movie SWAT, you know, running and gunning and barrel rolls and different stuff. But we all know it's a it's a it's a lot of walking followed by the sprint, you know, yeah. for just uh, a few seconds. That's so. a perfect analogy on it too. And and we train our officers up up to that level so they they're prepared for that sprint um you know the room we're sitting in right now we, we kind of it doubles as our uh, virtual training room that uh you know if citizens aren't, aren't familiar with that those uh, especially across north dakota we're uh, one of the only agencies in north dakota to have 
this this type of system in here. The, the city has been very kind to us in, in allowing this type of investment, but this uh, gives our officers the ability to um, you know, do use of force uh, scenarios and, and de-escalation scenarios and whatnot. And I know you're, you're getting pretty uh, pretty close with uh, uh, the the force science piece that's actually encapsulated within the program too. And I don't maybe a force science be a good mention sake right now as as far as that. Yeah, they're I think that they're they're going to bring us forward in a lot of the um, our day to day trainings that our guys are involved with. And I, from a cultural standpoint, it's going to just bring us forward with with just using proper verbiage because we can talk about the actions, you know, and, and uh, the physical uh, modalities of different things. But, you know, the culture of, of the youth, you know, words matter. And people people in our community know that. Uh, but in our training profession, words matter. And, and so now I think it's going to bring us forward, making sure we're using the appropriate words and, and, uh, and to get us in the right focus, frame of mind. Um, we certainly are trying to bring forward um, uh, more of an interleave approach for those that are listening than the block silo approach. And so we're trying to encompass as many different things as possible uh, to load our officers um, cognitively in these trainings to the point where it, it, it takes them to the edge and they can build. They can throw some dirt off the cliff and build off the cliff, but we're not falling off the cliff. Um, and so, uh, yeah back it up you know the automaticity we're trying to get built into our guys and gals so that when things happen the snap of a finger it's automatic for them um, and that just comes through repetition and, and teaching the right things so we are we are really trying to focus on that and I think in one of our uh, uh, upcoming guests um, uh, representative Armstrong he's going to talk about some of the training reform and stuff coming maybe from a national level and, and I think we're going to be able to to, to give people feedback right away and say, we, we're on top of this. You yep. know, we're paying attention to it. We're reading on it. We're trying to make sure we're um, staying ahead of the curve. You know, we don't want to be behind the curve on this moving yep. forward. So, so the bottom line of this, just, just to, I guess, to quell the fears on, on this initial uh, response poll for, for the danger, you know, we train you very well. Uh, we equip you very well here. Um, so if, if, that, if that helps to, to quell the fears, send the app in. Um, and then the, you know the going going down uh, further here right after that uh, the, you know the next uh, segment or the next uh, option here that voted the most on was the pay money 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 yeah of course yeah and uh, and again this this is um, you know not necessarily Dickinson specific because I think Dickinson is an outlier we've um, you know we have a very supportive uh, city commission city administrator uh, really forward uh, thinking um, really good stewards of the, of the taxpayer money so uh, when it when it comes time to roll that budget out um, you know. They've done an outstanding job balancing that, and we're one of the top eight agencies in, in North Dakota, and uh, benefit-wise as well. So uh, I, I believe the current, uh, this is going to be before uh, this year's budget passed, but our initial starting is uh, just over 51000 uh, initial. Uh, there's a six-month probationary period, and, and after you're off probation and through the academy, uh, you're, you're right at about 54196 And um, That doesn't factor in uh, overtime um, opportunities and uh, it, we also have a integrated uh, senior patrol officer position after the three-year mark. If you've met an X amount of training hours and you've attended these certain types of trainings, participated in a, yes. you know SWAT or CNT or, or something like that, then you get this extra bump of pay at that three-year mark as well. And this is in addition to whatever the city decides as far as the cost of living and a and a. Um, uh, this new pay scale that that just rolled out here this year, um, that that's a, a merit based type type of system. Um, we're really set really well as as a department and, and as a profession here um, to to be able to um, 
match what the other agencies around the area could pay. Yeah, and I, as it, from the national, you know, median standpoint, I mean, I, I know we are above the curve. I mean, I think your national median is sitting at that uh, high 40s, mid to high 40s there. So um, that's that's good to be able to see. And I know that on these analyses that have been done recently, on, on from the market end of it, um, you see them. It's like you know we're we're, we're right there. So for those that are kind of looking at different things or want to you know get into the professions and looking at pay, I mean I. And you and I both know as, as individuals there that started off at a time and, you know, thir- $13 an hour-ish. Yep, I remember and, that. And uh, back in, in the early 2000s and that, you know, it, it's, it's a great city uh, and in a, in a scale that, if I mean, if you work hard and you get after it and you, and you, you put the time in, um, you can provide a phenomenal life for yourself and your family absolutely and and when you get right down to it though if, if you're becoming a police officer for the money yeah that's probably not not the profession you get into it for uh, more altruistic reasons i mean it's you're in it to help the community to help help somebody in need and that's where you get the most reward from personally thinking i mean it's um yeah the, the, the money's just a side component of that but it's uh, there's there's so much other reward and benefit for being a police officer besides money yeah, I really like number three on the the professional political climate, and I think that's a that's such a hot button right now. It is with with everything that's happening, and uh, I mean we're we're extremely blessed. But I'll, I'll let you go with that. Yeah, in this one again, this this could not necessarily Dickinson specific because I think again we're we're the outlier. We're we're kind of the best kept secret in the nation for um, not only for just community, you know, just just our sense of community and and connection, but but the way. Um, community that, that we partner with our community here and, and, and how they, they really appreciate what we do they recognize the difficult tasks that we have but uh, you know they're always uh, they're backing us up you know uh, uh, so that in that part you know for Dickinson specific um, this you can't think of a better place to be a police officer in the nation than, than southwest North Dakota right now yeah, the ability to have a populace our size, build relationships with these people, and, and, and we, we know that they're holding us accountable. We know these people's faces, and, and some people will kind of um, um, downspin that maybe because they're thinking like, well, small communities and, and have this perception of that. And, you know, let's just, let's just bear in mind that 75% of the departments, I think, in the country are 20 sworn or less. Mm-hmm. So by that standard, I mean, we're a big department because right. <laughs> we're sitting at, you know, coming up 44 and a half sworn. 48 and a half after the first of the year Um, and um, I just think that you know we ever you know these people they and and there's a lot of feel good that happens but dang it I mean if something goes wrong they let us know about it well absolutely yeah yeah we're not without fault we're a human organization I mean that that, that's going to be it but we have mechanisms in place to track that and and to make sure that we deal with that at the same time though but we invest uh, greatly into into our officers you know again with the training um, you know, we have a really robust policy. I mean, obviously, you're going to be the, the gatekeeper for our policy, making sure our policy is updated. So we try to do right by the citizens and, and taking uh, you know, the recommendations from national organizations. So I think just that in and of itself just sets us apart from a lot of these other agencies that are having such a difficult time uh, with community relations. Um, and, and I think that's our strong suit is all the things that we're involved with as a, uh, as a community. Um, you know, national Night Out here was, was a massive success here the other day. Um, uh, really good turnout with that and, and all the other programs that we have intermixed. It's uh, great again, great place to be a cop. Yeah, I think we had just about 500, 500 meals served that night, taco in a bag. Um, it, was, it was really good and a lot of kids there did a little uh, um, copsicle at the door entry for everybody with little goodie bags <laughs> and it seemed like it was uh, rather well received by everybody who was there and it keeps getting bigger. I mean, we uh, another example of the, the support there and the climate here locally. Yep. 
So, um, yeah, let's move on down the list, though. Uh, for If, if uh, you didn't take the poll, the next one is ours on there. And so we get that question a lot when, when, uh, when people come in and apply. What, what's the shifts? What's the hours? Right, yeah. So the shifts, obviously, we have to be open 24-7. Emergencies don't, don't wait. They, they happen every hour of the day, so we have to staff the streets every hour of the day. Granted, there's going to be some times that are uh, busier than others, so we're able to uh, you know, adjust our manpower accordingly. But uh, cu- currently, we're at 12-hour shifts, rotating shifts. Um, it, it, um, that wasn't it, always the case, right? That wasn't always the case. I think uh, when you and I started, we were, we were at eights. eights. Yep, which uh, uh, that, that's got its own uh, benefits and, and disadvantages as well. But I think for the most part, the, the, uh, the guys here really like the 12-hour shifts. It's easy. It's very flexible um, to uh, adjust schedules and take vacations and whatnot. Um, so basically, you're working a Monday, Tuesday, have a Wednesday, Thursday off, work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Next week, you have Monday, Tuesday off, work Friday, uh, work Wednesday, Thursday, and then have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. So it just kind of rotates like that for one month. So you got a month of days, month of nights, and, and you switch back and forth. And uh, the, the big thing is it just really, especially on your short week per se, you just take that Wednesday, Thursday off for vacation, and you have an entire week off. Uh, so there's a lot of benefit, uh, uh, especially with the millennial generation. The biggest thing there is that, that life-work balance. That's the biggest thing that we've been seeing with uh, uh, these new recruits coming in. They, they want that balance in their life, and, and absolutely so. Um, but the, uh, this, this the shift, uh, uh, 12-hour shift, is really, really easy to um, work around to, to be able to accomplish that. I think one of the things, admin, they're trying to maximize some of the, um, uh, for, for wellness purposes, I guess, on the crews is with our additional staffing that we're looking at and trying to come to a, a power shift that would, uh, for people who are listening, what, what does a power shift mean? It would essentially be your department trying to afford you maximum um, coverage over a period of time that are, say, our peak hours. So I think we're, we're potentially, let's throw something out, like on a two-to-two shift, having extra uh, officers working that could uh, help when those influxes and call volume happen. And generally, that's, I think, the typical peak that we see is, is when we wish we had more people on us typically at, at that time. Although day shift, for you know, for some reason, especially early, uh, you know, the 10, 11 o'clock, that can uh, all of a sudden just, just be, open the floodgates up and you're, and you're running call to call, so it kind of all depends. The um, uh, running backgrounds um, for the department now for the last 10 years and, and overseeing these things, that's the next one there is uh, um, definitely one where um, it's a low on, on the poll, but um, I look at it, the criminal history in the background, people that have done things in their past that maybe they're, they're worried will be held against them, you know, in, inside the profession. I know you, from the onboarding side, you talk to a lot of them at the front end before, the, you know, when they're putting their application in, Mike. Does that conversation coming up and how does that play out for yeah, you? Yeah, so, you know, obviously we're, <laughs> we're, the phrase I use is we're not recruiting at the Vatican. You know, we're not expecting, uh, you know, absolute uh, unblemished records of, of, of people coming in. I think that's an unrealistic expectation. Um, but at the same time, we have to ensure that, that we're hiring, you know, the people with the absolute highest character and integrity. And despite what might have happened, you know, in, in the past, you know, people make mistakes, and we don't hold that necessarily against them. Uh, so we have a, a very in-depth background process. And, and I think that's, again, another reason why I think uh, we're doing a lot of things right as a department, why we're retaining uh, good officers, why we're having that really close community relation is because we're hiring the, the, the best and the brightest, even though they might have had something in their background. So mm-hmm. that initial onboarding conversation that, that I usually have during, during that uh, hiring process is just be honest about yourself. Um, uh, when, it, when it comes time to either the, the manual background, which your, your detectives uh, usually handle, uh, or the polygraph, which is your, your uh, our polygrapher for, for the department. And um, 
and as long as, as, as they're upfront and honest, that's what we're caring more about than you know, uh, you know, a little blemish on the record a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, um, um, I, I think about the, some of the stuff that I talk uh, in when I meet these applicants at that particular stage of our hiring process, be it at the polygraph examination or the end of the manual. And, you know, I, we highlight that, you know, we do not, people need to understand, we do not think we're hiring perfect people at all, ever. And so, I mean, I think currently our disqualifiers stand right now that if you have uh, um, one year on marijuana usage and, and two years on any other illegal drug on automatic disqualifiers, and, and there's a domestic violence um, uh, definition that fits in there as well for an automatic. But outside of that, you know, we, we have a bunch of stuff laid out there, but there, you know, we, we try to sort through every, every, every applicant case by case. And, and it goes back to what you said, the, the willingness and for, to be honest and forthcoming is just a huge part of the decision-making I think for, for the administration and who they're hiring, right. For the community and, and for their justice system. Absolutely. Integrity is, is key. You know, if, if you lack integrity, you don't belong in this profession and you can't testify in court. Uh, your, your word is, is, is absolutely worthless. So got to have the integrity as, as the, uh, the cornerstone. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but I, I do support what you said. I do think that um, there's been times where we, you know, there's been, um, there's been contentious different backgrounds and stuff that have came through with, with different applicants. But, but I do think our process is, uh, it's as, as good as there is, as, as there's always room for improvement, but it's it's a good process that uh, I think does its job. I agree. So, um, and then last, I know, at least we're we're coming up here on our time marker, but you know, on that other, you know, you tried to tried to get some others <laughs> seeking out some comments for other reasons, but um, maybe we know we know now for next time. I, I think so, and and I suppose uh, even even as an addition to this podcast, so uh, now we're gonna have this on YouTube. Hopefully, uh, comment on that. Uh, comment on our Facebook page when we post this. Yeah, put it below. What's uh, what's stopping you from clicking the submit button on the application? We like to talk it out. See if maybe uh, we can quell any uh, misconceptions. That's that was kind of the purpose of this po- uh, this poll. And so, hopefully, um, the information we just gave you here is uh, maybe uh, helpful in, in changing your mind on that. Yeah. It- it's a young department. It's 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 a it's an extremely fun department. You think about how it's changed over the course of our career from when we were hired till now. Night and day, and, and yep. uh, night and day, and, and and some of it good, some of it's you know different ways. And I just think that we're uh, it's an extremely great place if you're a young person looking for an awesome career in an awesome community, you know, to have a good future uh, to work for. Yep. Right so, on. what uh, maybe maybe it's time? Is it? I uh, think so. Let's uh, let's let's uh, swap it out for segments here, and then. Uh, We'll be back up with uh, Sergeant Jeremy Mosier for our first uh, Get to Know Your Officer segment. I like it. Stick around. Stay tuned, guys. somebody in here to powder our faces sweating yet no no just soon enough though you got you got the hot seat that we've always wanted to get you on right 
So, morning, Jer. Morning. Sergeant Mosier. The Moj. Yeah. We are uh, bringing part of the podcast moving forward uh, from time to time. I guess I'll just, uh, our first coffee with a cop, so right. to speak. We'll get some, we'll coin some, some phrase here. I already had three cups this morning, so. <laughs> I like it. Um, so, yeah, you know, the, the idea behind this, Jeremy, was to try to get our, our men and women in, in front of the camera, um, on the mic, and having conversations with them at uh, maybe a level of the community. They've, they've heard the name, or they, they've, they've saw certain things, and uh, give them a chance to hear them on different levels. And so you were the first one that Lieutenant Hanel uh, had, uh, had mentioned at the beginning of this. It uh, came to mind, which is definitely a good recommendation, that um, your time and tenure with us here at the department um, is, is lengthy. And we'll talk about that as it goes along. But um, I, I think it's going to be a good thing and looking forward to the feedback from our watchers, our viewers and listeners uh, as it goes on. But, hey, man, like, been a long time. Uh, us three, kind of like uh, we refer now like OGs a little bit. Right. Just because coming on near the same time uh, back in the mid-2000s. And so... You want to just start off a little bit? Maybe tell tell our viewers and listeners about yourself, man. Well, I'm originally from Langdon, North Dakota. Uh, after high school, I went into the Marine Corps, spent four years in the Marine Corps. Uh, Langdon's in Canada, right? <laughs> Pretty close, yeah. Just a few miles from Canada, yes. <laughs> spent a few days in Canada myself. But um, went in the Marine Corps after high school. Uh, four years, like I said, down in San Diego, spent a lot of time overseas, uh, honorably discharged as a sergeant. Um, one of the main reasons I exited the military was uh, to get married, <laughs> yeah, right? And uh, my wife and I, Jennifer, we moved up to Colorado. Uh, I was seeking a law enforcement career there. That didn't so much work out as I was involved in a car accident, which bumped me off the list. Yeah, you were you were like you were playing with Denver PD. I mean, you were right. you were next on the hire list, there, right? Well, not necessarily. What with it, pretty close. I was yeah. like in three hundred place, something like that. Yeah, and you got to, so it was, a, it was a gnarly car wreck you were in, right? I got rear-ended. Yes. Yeah. 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 I went to the hospital on a stretcher. What was that? What was that all about? There. Can you talk a little bit about that? Got rear-ended. It just had an intersection. No, we were on, on the interstate. I was heading home. It's about a two-hour drive every day, which is another reason I came back to. North Dakota. Um, we got slowed down in traffic. I was just got to a stop, and I just looked in my rearview mirror, and it's kind of funny. I used to drive a Ford Ranger. Yeah, I barely fit in it, and uh, actually a full size Ford Ranger back in the seventies. Uh, I looked in my rearview mirror, and he come flying up behind me and wiped me out. He actually hit other, three other vehicles as, as well. So he was doing. 55 plus mile an hour, and I, I was hit. Anybody outside of you hurt on that? There were several others that were hurt and hauled off. Yeah, and, and that kind of set the sun, uh, the sun on, on the Denver aspirations in, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it stopped me. I actually, Good for I us. It was like but a week later, I was supposed no. to do the physical agility test, and uh, that wasn't going to happen. What about the, um, okay, so, so the Marines, small, small town, North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty 2, tight. 2,500. Pretty tight family, right? Correct. The uh, what's 
So why, why the Marines? Why, what, what's the story with this? Uh, my uncle, Kevin, he was in the Marines, so I always had that aspiration and always kind of followed in his footsteps. Okay, okay. Where did, uh, and where did that take you at? Like at the beginning of what, you are down in San Diego? or Correct. Yeah. MCRD boot camp there for three months okay. of torture. Did you ever, uh, ever, ever contemplate any of the special forces stuff at all? Um, of it, or did you? Yes, uh, we. I was, I was uh, got introduced to and actually went to Scout Swimmer School down in uh, Coronado. Um, essentially, that's at the Buds Training Facility where the Navy is, and uh, uh, ended up ultimately becoming a Scout Swimmer for several or a couple of years. Okay. okay. What about? Um, do you got anything you can share, like the time throughout your time in the Marines? I mean, I know our our listeners they'd love to hear. Um. Yeah, like what 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 even time? This is going to probably date you here, but what 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 time are we talking about? Just here? after the Gulf War. Okay. So we spent time in Saudi, um, pretty much all over the uh, Western Hemisphere, um, all the way over into Malaysia, Oman, Qatar, you name it. We've been to Australia, Hawaii. It was great traveling experience put it that way mm-hmm. um, what, what was the what was the vibe like you know in the military for the marines at that time tell me like you know you guys are obviously it's post-golf and uh, you know you're all so it was still pretty hardcore um they kept us on in check um knowing that there's other things that were already starting to formulate and like mombasa um a lot of things like that we we continually trained we were always on our feet and, and there was not necessarily a deployment per se, but there, there was times you were called to, called to action. That stuff that probably didn't make make headlines or not necessarily in, in a yeah, conflict or something like there's that. Many things out, yeah, yeah. Which is it's okay. We don't want the limelight, so and that's the way the Marine Corps works. So, what uh, favorite? You got f- favorite spots? Favorite, favorite uh, moments? Australia, absolutely. Australia. Where at in Australia? Uh, we were in we Sydney. First place was Bunbury, Australia. Okay. How long were you guys in there when you uh, go to these, like, temporary? About three, four days, just R&R. Okay. Um, we did some training in Australia. We did training in Singapore. We trained with the Singapore Army Commandos there. They're pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. The, uh, how was living for you on the ship? You know, six-foot-plus oh, guy oh. on the ship. So. <laughs> uh, now we're bringing back memories. Yeah, that's what we want to do. We want to dig this up. Right. Um, so went on two six month deployments overseas, uh, called the Westpac and, uh, it got, there was, there was a time where we were on shift for over 90 days, which gets pretty, um, the emotions get <laughs> pretty <laughs> contentious. A little. Yes. Um, but the way we were, we were all men, we fight and forget. Right. So, um, we just kept moved on. The uh, as that thing you know kind of goes along. Did did you have? Uh, were you putting much thought in the post military at all while you were in the military? Like uh, as soon as I met my wife, I was pretty much out the door. Honestly, um, I've seen in the military it, it's tough when you get married or you're. I've seen a lot of friends that um, got divorced in the military and based on deployments and what have you. So I knew that was going to be an issue or it may be an issue. So I wasn't going to take that chance. Gotcha. Um, 
did you did always family was family always in the the uh, the scope for you as I know a lot of these you know military guys that were runners and gunners you know family's not always something that's just in their cards right uh, what about for you that was more in my scope was family yeah yeah do you think part, was part of that coming from a tight knit family yourself yes yeah um, how many brothers and sisters do you have I have a brother and a sister gotcha. um so you you know that you're the the, the clock's getting punched. You're leaving the Marines. What's going on next for you? What's what's uh, Jeremy Mosier, Sergeant Mosier? Law enforcement. Law enforcement. There was uh, in Colorado. Why Colorado before home? Say. <laughs> Honestly, it was a uh, one of those on the map. That's where we're going. Gotcha. And they're higher in there up in Colorado. Then several thousand applicants. And then you, uh, you dive into this construction business a little mm-hmm. bit there, and you were, you're building homes all the way? You're building, framing, doing the whole thing? How, how was that with Patriot? So essentially, I, w- I was working a job down in Denver as a construction worker. Um, ultimately, we decided to move back to North Dakota, did some research. Um, the construction company here in Dickinson was hiring, drove up, did an interview, got hired, and we picked up and moved to Dickinson, North Dakota. Um, at that time, I worked at that construction company for a few years and then uh, decided that I'm going to do it on my own. Started my own construction company, Patriot Construction, back in the day. Properly named, that's perfect. Right? Yeah. For several years and did a ride along with the Dickinson Police Department and uh, found they were hiring and big bada boom, I'm here. And that was what year? 2008. 2008. Yeah. Seems yeah. like yesterday. Yeah. Right. And that is one thing that stands out, you know, with you, Jeremy. Obviously, always since I've known you, a proud patriot of that with your time served and um, coming back here. And so then it's, did, did you, um, in your journey back in here, so like, you know, the volunteer fire department side of it there, did, are you one of those uh, little boys that just played with fire? So fire was always a thing for you. How did, how did the fire department? I'm not going into a past. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Actually, I do have a story on that one. <laughs> um, so my dad was a volunteer firefighter up in Langdon for many, many years. Um, my brother's also a volunteer firefighter up in Langdon. Um, always had that, that interest to serve the community. Um, got involved with the fire department, I believe in 2002, 2003, I think it was 2002, uh, volunteered for about, well, the six, seven years before I became a police officer. Then I just got to be a little too much. Um, I wasn't offering enough back to the fire department, so I had to, uh, sever ways. So, and then lucky, lucky DPD. EPD, yes. In there. Was there anything in between that at all? Was it that we're missing that maybe talk about that be worth notating oh. for? Besides uh, having a few children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we'll talk about that for sure as, as this kind of happens along. So you get, uh, what's, what, what do you think, what's your expectations when you come to work for the Dickinson Police Department? You know, we you always know what the department tells you, but what were yours? Initially? Yeah, yeah, initially coming into this that first time. Oh, I, I was gung-ho, ready to go. Let's do it. Let's go. Go, go, go. Now I'm kind of a little more laid back, a um, little, more, little more knowledge of the job, and knowing that uh, we got to slow down a little bit. 
Yeah, it, that just comes with time and experience. And right. Yeah, there's 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 a certain gear that you find that's that's good for you, and yeah, the further up you get, and it's, you get that breadth of experience of how to deal with stuff differently, and yeah. The uh, and I, another neat part I think about uh, you know because we we're very uh, you know we're malcontent people sometimes by nature you know very dissatisfied with a lot of different things but. And always are easy to be able to find the negatives in certain things when we're picking apart ourselves. But I look at this as a, as a good thing when, when I look at your career and stuff, the, the things that you've been able to be a part of, some, some, pretty, some pretty good stories and some, some pretty good call responses that uh, you have to have good people there. You've got to have people that are, you know, squared away there for, for our community. Um, what about some of the ones earlier on you, some of the, that come to mind for you that stick out? your early responses and things I remember when as far as uh, let's well, I was about a month and a half on the job roughly um, still haven't went to the academy yet and we got called to a shots fired call definitely uh, a lot of I shouldn't say memory or they are memories obviously I can work through the whole call for service and uh, know the intricate. I know the intricacies of all the, call, uh, the of the whole call. Yeah. I so, mean, so just, this is this is the shooting, like the summer, early summer. Yeah, summer of, of 08, right? June fifth, two thousand eight. Okay. So. Yeah. Memorize the date. So. Yeah. And so, so it was a shots fired call. Do you remember how that came across, or uh, what it was the dispatched as a shots fired call on the south side of town? Okay. Or where you were at when the call came in? I know exactly where I was at. That was where the. Uh, it's the old, it's the new Autorama. No, 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 not the Autorama. What's the building, the red building now? Pro-Tent. Pro-tent. Yep. 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 That's where I was. I was actually cruising through the parking lot there, uh, uh, checking doors and what have you, and the call came out. Do you remember um, how many how many guys were working that night? What was the ship working? That, yeah. There was four of us working that okay. night. Okay. And about what time? It was, uh... Oh, shoot. I don't... I it, was, was, it, was it was pretty, pretty, pretty late, late, late at night. Yeah. So you probably had a full crew. Forward. We had our whole full crew at that night. We had <laughs> our uh, Sergeant Brown, uh, SPO Koskovich, Corey Lee, and myself. Okay. And do uh, you remember thinking in, in, in your head at that time there, like processing being a newbie out of the gates and stuff? Some of the initial thoughts that, that hit you? That, uh, um, no, I, like I said, I was pretty much gung-ho at the time, and I just used, uh, based on my tactical experience in the Marine Corps, that came into effect and just, you know, uh, the tactics. So set the scene for us. So, it, so you're, you're responding down there, you get on scene. What, uh, you, you guys formulate a plan or what's, uh, what information do you even have up at that point? Um, at this time, we had, uh, just before we arrived on scene, we were informed the, one of the occupants of the residence was shot um, with a high caliber rifle. Um, we were setting up across the street, uh, Sergeant Dan Brown, uh, and Corey Lee and I met across the street, formulated a plan. Uh, S.B.O. Koskovich, he was down the street uh, maintaining uh, security for us with a long rifle as we approached the residence. So this isn't just a shots fired? like you know, no, we, is, we get those all the time where it's like fireworks, but yeah, no, I know what a gunshot is. And, this is yeah, an active shooter thing. situation. We know for sure somebody shot here. Yes, yeah. and they're on, they're on live with dispatch, the calling party. Um, and we're getting current information real time. What time in the morning was this? What time? 
I honestly don't remember. It was early in the morning. Yeah, I remember getting called out. It was the first uh, uh, first scene I had had really since getting. I was just newly signed back in investigations, and it. Uh, I'm going to say the sun was just coming up. We got to be at that time of the year. I mean, it had to be two, three in the morning. It sounds about right. Yeah. So, um, and so that thing goes along. So, so, you remember when? You know, when everything was said and done for your guys' crew on that deal there, like uh, that immediacy right after the fact, and uh, how did that how did that go? You know, you share some of these things with our listeners and our viewers so they kind of get intimate with you know, what we're uh, dealing with on a lot of these, these crazy calls. As far as after? Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. after, um, yeah, there's a lot of emotions that come into play. You're going from a, you know, elevated... Um, adrenaline to you got to bring it back down to normal and then you get that adrenaline dump where you're just completely exhausted um we and then you just move on i guess because i mean for for and honestly it affects everybody differently um i've been in several situations prior to this so i already had that um it's it's developing your developing a mentality that you you need to focus and get yourself through these situations and mentally prepare yourself. And um, do you remember how many rounds were fired from? Well, actually, even, even back up here. So, yeah, walk us through there. How, how just, just because, yeah, this ended up being an officer involved shooting, I guess, for the listeners that, that aren't sure. So, yes. So, <clears throat> Corey Lee went to the north side of the residence to around the corner. And I skirted the building as Dan Brown, Sergeant Dan Brown was, there was a tree line to the south of the residence. Sergeant Dan Dan Brown was using the trees as a concealment to move up to the back of the location where we are told that Joel Witzel had exited the residence and was looking for the female who was on 911 in the backyard area. I utilized the, the residence and skirted the residence to get to the corner just as I get to the corner um, this is where it gets pretty scary. Um, at the same time I get to the corner, Joe Witzel comes around the corner with the rifle. Um, he's ordered to drop the gun at the same time. All I, he raises the gun at about waist level, like cowboy style. And I see the barrel and it's this big looking down the barrel. So he's, po- um, he's pointing it right he's at you. He's pointing it right at me. Yeah. I have my shotgun up, um, at that time. Um, for various reasons, I, I squeezed the trigger on my shotgun, however the safety was on. At that time, Sergeant Dan Brown fired a shot and stopped it, him from shooting. So, now going back, now you're, we, we got to, so at the time we were doing, uh, it was Remington 870s at the time, right. right? We were rocking with that. And you're you're not a Remington 870 guy, are you? Well, you're, I actually am. Yeah, I hunt with a Remington 8-7. I thought you were a Mossberg guy. That's no, a, okay. absolutely not. No. I was going to give you a lifeline there. It's like, well, no, yeah, the safeties I, are gonna, different. And, no, okay, we'll, all right. Be well. honest, I'm a Remington guy, 870 guy, and when I pheasant hunt, I know it's not right, but I would always have my safety off and no round in the chamber, so when I went to shoot a bird, I'd rack around and... So nope. bad muscle memory or something. Absolutely. Well, bad training. That's, well, no, that's, I mean, that's, um, I, I'm going to jump in on Jeremy. First of all, for you to be able to, like, just say uh, that word out loud, like, you know, you say, that was a scary thing. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Um, pe- 
people need to hear that. Um, our young officers need to hear that, that are coming in sometimes with perceptions that, you know, you get a seasoned guy and you've been around enough to know that it's probably not used enough in some of our conversations and, uh, and stuff, that, the, the fear side of it that actually exists in these human beings in a situation like that, you know. And, you know, being in, in some um, similar to what you're describing, ain't no doubt, I'll, like I was, you know, scared to death, you know, you fear, you go down the line there. And, you know, the problem is when that, that sort of thing starts to kick in and the chemical reactions go, the brain starts to do crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like what you're talking about there, man, is a completely plausible situation. And you could be a very, you could be highly trained special forces guy for those, right. you know, that are doing it. And I got all kinds of stuff that in my office I could show you that that sort of reaction to a safety being left on and stuff like that, it, uh, it can happen. I mean, and it does happen, and it happens more than people want it. Cause Hollywood and stuff, uh, you know, they butcher this for us. It's always, mm-hmm. you know, throwing bullets around. Monday morning quarterback. Slabs and meats and stuff. And, and so, man, I just I really respect you for saying that um, like that because it is. It's, uh, it's, it's scary. And, and on a day-to-day basis, you know, when that audible goes off and you're going, it's, it's, it's fear that's triggering these things going on inside us, you know, in, in a way there. So... So after so after bang here and uh, uh, suspect falls to the ground, right? What's uh, what's you guys' next step after we that? We move up, get him into custody. Uh, at that time, we don't have a, a, a secured scene, so I move around to the north side of the building and I run into Corey Lee, and then I move around to the front side where I come across the victim and the calling party. Uh-huh. And I'll never forget this because my adrenaline was through the roof. And it immediately went to the, just brought me back down to normal, essentially normal, is when I'm asking the, the gunshot victim, where were you shot, where were you shot? He said, in my good leg. And I, what? And he goes, he pulls up his pants and shows me a prosthetic, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> and it just brought me right back down to normal, essentially normal, and just like, whew. Okay. Yeah, because he he Let's, was I mean yeah he was he was injured but but he ultimately survived. Yes, and, he was shot yeah. in his other leg. Right. <laughs> um, what about like so I, I know there was I want to get you in the in the the shell casing, oh. the debacle here. So so t- tell me a little bit about the shell casings that, that ended up becoming. It was part actually of this a, year. wasn't a shell casing. It was a full loaded right. uh, round that had a dent in the primer. Well, as I made contact with the victim and the reporting party the reporting party had handed me a full or a live ammunition 308 round which I just she already had in her hand I took it and put it in my pocket well I also prior to when we are when we placed uh, Joel in the custody I had uh, ejected a round out of the rifle and I also put that in the same pocket now the question being where how did the dent get in the primer was it in the rifle and he already pulled the trigger and it didn't go bang or was this one that was just found on the ground and already had the dent yeah. in the so primer. so after everything so said and done you had question you had two rounds in your pocket one had a dent of primer one didn't right it could be conceivable that as he was leveling out on you that was it the dead be. primer it, but in my mind it was most yeah. likely the one that was ejected uh, on the right. ground I, I just but it still kind of makes you think about it you know, right hmm, that was that would have hurt. Right. And so ultimately, uh, Joel, he survives as well. He survives, right. yes. Yeah, get, gets uh, taken to the hospital. Every, everybody was okay in that situation, obviously. Yes, everybody lived. Right. 
my my thing is how did that conversation go that night when you came home to your well, wife actually, that hey I'm I'm here a month and a half and and I almost <laughs> we, uh-huh. we we got really close on this one how did that conversation go that night it was actually early in the morning where I got relief from the hospital um, we had a debrief um, and then we were sent home for the day actually a few days um, for a little R and R and. Uh, we we spoke through it. Um, I I gave her every detail that I knew of, and we we talked through it. I confided in her, and we uh, we worked through it. Yeah, and I think that's 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 a good plug for um, the the often unsung heroes of law enforcement is is the spouses of law enforcement officers. I don't think they get near the credit. You know, the cops are always the ones getting the glory and stuff. But for the spouses uh, um, that you know, have to have to go to the birthday parties alone or, you know, take the kids to, to, to soccer practice and whatnot, all while we're out doing, doing our job. I, I think that's, the, the public really needs to remember that, that, you know, the officers aren't necessarily the only ones sacrificing per se. There's, there's a lot of uh, family involvement and family uh, stuff that you miss, and, and it's the spouses there that are, that are the, the backbone for everything. Jeremy, you were... Uh Working with the Alabama fugitives <laughs> came through town, yes, and uh, we're we're on, we're uh, on the run. And so, can uh, you want to give a little bit of a, a background on on these cats from from your end of it, as in the beginning their escape and such? Well, from I what know. I understand, they these four individuals had escaped from a or two individuals had escaped from a prison down in Huntsville, Alabama, I believe. That's two two thousand and eight now, let's tell like, ourselves. Yeah, like yeah. a year after. Two thousand nine. Yeah, this would be about July a year. 9th, 2009, roughly, I think. Um yeah, I'll never forget that day, that's for sure. Um I had received a text message or a phone call to respond to the LEC to um, respond to a shots fired call involving a burglary, actually not a burglary, an armed robbery that took place at the movie gallery here in town at the time. Where was the movie gallery at? Just so people can kind of... It's where the Southwest Community College is right now. Um, That call came in, responded to the LEC, and I was tasked with grabbing the old our old uh, milk truck. <laughs> For those of us that were on the SWAT team, we all very aware of the milk truck. It was an old Air Force maintainer van that we mm-hmm. kind of converted for, for SWAT use. No yeah. ballistics. Yeah. No, no, no ballistics at all. <laughs> um, and I was tasked to drive it out to Gladstone where we were uh, briefed on what was taking place or what happened. Um, where we learned that uh, the robber had taken place an officer, or I shouldn't say officer, um, Trooper Megan Christopher from the North Dakota Highway Patrol was responding to the incident southbound on 3rd Avenue West. She's seen a suspicious vehicle northbound, speeding, um, putting two and two together, um, you know, get those spider senses going. Um, she turned on the vehicle and pursued it, and where it turned into this pursuit here we're going to look at here, and uh, we'll just go from there. Yeah, so we actually have the the, the in-car video from that night. So this is uh, uh, Trooper Christopher's uh, in-car video. Uh, we don't have any vehicle description. There were three to four individuals wearing camouflage and masks. They also had walkie-talkies. 
Headlights that you saw there that that, that were at, that was actually the uh, the fugitives going north here on Third Avenue West, and now it looks like they're hitting the. Uh, I understand. Yeah. 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 Oh, I miss those Chrome Vicks. <laughs> yeah, they're quick. You always can hear the Chrome Vic. So like you were saying, Jeremy, this is complete officer intuition on her part. You know, she's, she's responding to the robbery, sees a vehicle going high rate of speed the opposite direction, and just that, that cop instinct turn around and start following this guy. Absolutely. That just raises the hair on my arms right now. Just listening just, to it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. At this point, she didn't quite light them up. This is the 10th Avenue East Bridge, still going east on the interstate, right? I think going about 100 miles an hour, and now here's uh, skips forward here to exit 64, and I think uh, this is about where she turns the lights on, I think, right? That was a Trooper Wake Cattermas in the background. He really did a lot to a quarterback that night. Are we just about to the Green River now? Uh, looks like just just uh, on the hill coming outside of Tyke. Here's the uh, Lehigh Bridge, and this is uh, where it's going to get awfully interesting here in just a second. So yeah, the uh, passenger leaned out and ended up shooting a couple rounds at her. Yeah, you can see, if you look closely, you can see an arm come out the window and possibly a head and shoulder. Um, I talked to Trooper Christopher afterwards, or shortly afterwards, and she, when she said she stopped there, she actually stopped to pat herself down to make sure she wasn't injured, and then resumed the uh, pursuit um, the round actually went through her windshield into her trooper hat. Um, on the passenger side, On the right? passenger side, yeah. yes. I think had somebody been sitting there, they probably somebody would Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I think she was at that, from my recollection, she was kind of in your position too, just, just starting out as, as a trooper and, yes. and first critical incident. But as you saw in there, um, 
immediately afterwards got right back on it and, and tailed these guys in, in the in the Gladstone and um, and she shortly after that too I think she was also involved with that um, pursuit just south of Watford with the the military vet that kind of yes. just just had a mental breakdown it was a suicide by cop thing and uh, she ultimately uh, was able talk to talk him down with with a good verbal de-escalation so yeah she's just she's a go-getter yeah she's a Great trooper cop. no pun intended right <laughs> yeah well they um again at the beginning of it there and, and um jumping around a little bit so so what you were seeing there was it was ashton mink and josh southwick had broken out of uh, the facility down in we had thought we're at in alabama huntsville huntsville yeah. alabama which which is now a facility that's closed I, right. supposedly because of this incident yeah and uh they were they were uh <laughs> aided by their the Ashton Mink's sister and the wife, uh, Jacqueline, Jacqueline, for Joshua, right? Or for Ashton, excuse me, for Ashton. And uh, I think it was timed out, th- a, a thunderstorm, a power outage. When they broke out, yes. Yeah, and they, they cut a hole in the fence. It's like all Shawshank Redemption style. Yeah, I think right. that, the, uh, that the females had staged some tools or something near right. an area where they knew they could get to. Um, and then, you know, made, made their exit. Um, what was kind of interesting, I think we, we were talking before the, the podcast began, they, once they took off out of there, they, they, they made their way up through a good portion of the country. I mean, they were up on the, almost on the West Coast, I guess, uh, Utah, Wyoming, through some parks and, and things. Isn't yeah, Robin stuff fall all the way up. I think, I think additional movie stores, like the movie gallery, and working their way up to North Dakota. Yeah, they made it on America's Most Wanted. Right. Yeah. yeah, they they were uh, yeah, one America's Most Wanted was still on mm-hmm. on air. Uh, yeah, they they were all featured on there. And the other thing you might not have picked up on that on that video either is uh, uh, Trooper Christopher is able to get the the numbers and the letters on the plate, but she she couldn't quite tell what state that was from. Um, it was only a little while after that that uh, when, when State Radio had the chance to start running, uh, you know, all to start at the top and just start running plates by state, and uh, thankfully Alabama was the plate it was from. That's the very first state. And so they were able to, uh, that uh, NCIC hit. So that, that was, they were, they were wanted subjects. That's pretty much the first indication that, that we knew we were dealing with some gnarly people. And they actually, I mean, it wasn't like they were just coming through town for us either. They were here the night before the robbery actually occurred. Ate at McDonald's and we're staying out at Patterson. At the campgrounds out at, out at Patterson, right? And what that the robbery was it about eleven o'clock at night that they actually they yeah the I, think the, I think it's a timestamp on there I think we're at closing time and the, it was reported that they were wearing camouflage and mask and what have you and we had that are they involved in the military were they in the military what do we have what are we right. dealing with here it's one of those moments I, I wish that we would have had our body cameras back in two thousand and nine now so we could continue on with the uh, <laughs> with the the footage there for for the viewers and stuff but but unfortunately not at that time but. There's obviously there's a lot more to the story. Yeah, that that's that was that was just the start of it. So from from there they uh, went to into Gladstone, and uh, Trooper Christopher ended up losing sight of him within the city, and that's kind of where we get where Jeremy picks up here. Right, they just uh, she lost sight of him in uh, southbound into Gladstone. We were unsure or unclear if they remained in Gladstone or if they're or if they held up there somewhere. Um, we staged on. Uh, the Enchanted Highway, right there in Gladstone, and started gathering information about who we were dealing with. Um, at that time, uh, Lieutenant Leach, it was coordinated to where a reverse 911 call was put out to all the residents in the Gladstone area and Stark County. And it was within, I would want to say, it felt like it was like an hour, hour and a half later, we get a phone call from a resident south of Gladstone 
saying they seen a couple individuals going into the garage, their unattached garage at their farm. Um, well, it's got to be our people. So we moved down into the area there and set up a security. Um, the residence was occupied by um, a husband, wife, and I believe daughter. Um, we held on the residence. We had uh, set up a long gun directly at the uh, garage and asked the residents to remain in place um, and we will handle the situation. And at that time, we were working on many hours of no sleep, so we um, asked for assistance from the West Dakota SWAT team. The Bismarck area. Bismarck area. Because up until this point, it was just Southwest Tactical, our, our group, which I, I, I even forget who was all, how many people you've been. I think there was only six or seven. I, I was going to yeah. say eight, but maybe it wasn't that many. Yeah. Um, at that time, we just pretty much held in place until, uh, uh, at, and we also had air support coming from the North Dakota Highway Patrol uh, to get the plane in the air to get uh, eyes on what was taking place on the ground around the um, garage area. Uh, Four-man team, emergency response team from West Dakota arrived. And uh, with the four-man team, we used one of the Stark County Sheriff's units to move up and evacuate the um, three occupants of the residence. Uh, myself, Michelle Volts. Michelle Volts had drove was the driver of the um, SO unit. Michelle Volts at that time, she was one she, of our female officers. Yep, one of our female officers who was on the SWAT team. And then uh, our chief now, uh, Chief Dossinger, um, him and I, we moved up to the residence with the four-man evac team essentially and chief dawson and i were tasked with uh holding security why the four-man team from west dakota assisted the individuals out of the residence and were able to extract them and get them back to safety to where we initially we took over the residence as a um a, a place of cover um myself i remained at the southwest corner um where Chief Dossinger had moved up to his position on, I believe, the northeast corner of the residence. So we had pretty good eyes on the, the garage while the four-man team entered the residence to set up a security for the, west, the rest of the West Dakota SWAT team to arrive. And this was this had to be early early morning, like 2, 3 in the this morning is, by the, this time, you think? This is though the sun was coming up already here. Okay. okay. And, uh, <laughs> and then it started snowing. This is June, June sixth or something. Yeah, now yes. yeah, it's probably in the, yeah, after midnight. Now so June sixth. Yeah, yeah, it's it's snowing. It's snowing North, the, North Dakota. Right when the yeah. sun came up, it started snowing. Heavy, heavy, heavy wet snow. And it stood. We stood perimeters. Uh, Chief Dossinger and I stood perimeter. At the time, he was a sergeant. We stood perimeter for. It seemed like an eternity, just getting soaking wet. We had little. We were just. Snow just caked on her shoulders, you know, four inches, you know. It, we got, what, five, six inches of snow that day, that morning. So by this time, I mean, we got Dickinson PD, Stark County Sheriff's Department, got North Dakota Highway Patrol, ground and air. We got BCI. We got the marshals. Do we have anybody else? Do we know at that time that we were, did we call in or it was a part of that? I believe it was then just the, the West Dakota. 
in West Dakota, yeah. yeah, which consists of Bismarck PD, Burley County, Morton okay. County, and Mandan PD. With uh, plus their negotiators too, because I think that was uh, an initial tactic they uh, they use once everybody once all the chess pieces were put into place. I I think uh, they tried to get uh, some communication going in in between the the suspects in the garage and the and the, the benefit of having West Dakota SWAT team the, the negotiators as well yes, but they also had the robot that we utilized throughout the process of making the arrest. Yeah. You when you when you look at that then as Time has went along for us, Jeremy, from, from that, let's go, first-generation tech team till now. Like, do you, you ever think about how that changed, how the whole dynamics of that or by how, you know, being on our equipment that we have now and stuff like that, being lucky and <laughs> where we are today? You know where I'm going with this. That's a, so, I, I believe you're going towards the Bearcat. Yeah. Um, our Bearcat is a huge game-saver. It if we would have had the Bearcat, this would have been resolved pretty quickly. Can you tell, maybe tell the listeners a little bit. When you say Bearcat, what are we talking about? It's a, essentially, it's an armored vehicle that we use in the, in the SWAT team. Um, it's got a lot of capabilities, such as it's got a breaching tool on the front of the vehicle, which we most likely used to breach the garage door of the um, garage to open it up to, to – uh, to affect the arrest or order the individuals out of the resident or out of the garage, um, there's a, it's got a turret on it. There's so many capabilities that we could have used with this Bearcat, and we're fortunate enough. Not too many years later, we convinced or the it was convinced to uh, purchase one um, throughout the um, counties through our own that we serve here in the Southwest Tactical Team. And that was a result of, an, of another officer-involved shooting that we had north of, north of Belfield in 2012, maybe? Yes. There, thereabouts. Uh, that, that's uh, the only option we had at the time. Again, that was with the, uh, the milk truck that we had. Right. And the plywood side, we had no other real cover out there when we were trying to arrest the aggravated assault suspect, brutally strangled his girlfriend, and uh, occupied this farm structure north of Belfield. And as our perimeter units were trying to set up, dismounted, so they're outside of a vehicle, trying to make contact with them, trying to negotiate, comes out and points a rifle at one of the officers, and, and uh, our SWAT team ended up having to, having to uh, react to that. But had, in that case as well, had we'd had the, uh, the armor there, there's so much more we could have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah. This- it's kind of, it's honestly, it's a, it's a psychological thing, too. You pull that bearcat up. We've had several cases where we responded to, and why'd you give up? You guys come up with a big tank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the the positives, and we know that the positives outweigh the negatives exponentially. Absolutely. With with that thing, for some of the negative uh, attention that those things get from time to time. So, I mean, yeah, from deploying gas, I mean, you just go down the list of. There's so many opportunities, or so many capabilities that we can utilize the Bearcat with. It's amazing. Yeah. And so. Um, yeah, talk about the tail end of that. So things starts to wind down after how long? How long so, are we out there for? I believe we spent 17 hours, if I remember correctly, around that. Ish? Ish before the mid-afternoon, early afternoon, when it was all resolved. Um, we, uh, Chief Jossinger and I, were pretty much on stand down. Um, I remember sitting in a, in a chair just trying to get some Zs and then also keeping an ear open and and listening to the negotiations taking place um we utilized i'm not going to go into the tactics that were utilized but there was things that were introduced to where we knew what was going on inside that um, garage 
visually and uh, uh, by audio. And you could tell that things were amping up and they were preparing themselves to um, fight. Um, there were there was several other indicators we found out later that they were using some of the horse narcotics that were in the refrigerator, tranquilizers, what have you. They were using some of those and putting that in their body, um, ingesting that. Uh, there was other that we could hear uh, tools being utilized, saw cutting equipment. Um, you could hear as it sounded like they're tearing things apart in the resident or inside the garage. You can hear them loading ammunition, and then towards the end, um, they started praying, which really amps it up, and you're just, oh, this is not going to go well. Um, about that time, they said they're going to give up. Yeah, that's, that's where they're telling the negotiators yeah. uh, over, over, right. over that, but that's not necessarily what they're planning. No, and they don't know that we know that, so we're, we're prepared for this. Well pretty much prepared for it at the time we were told there's no other exit out of the res out of the garage there is a door on the backside, however it's barricaded enough to where they would not know how to exit yeah, it was like a like a barn style door right yeah, like a slider door and then yes. the front was was an overhead door and, overhead then, and door then a man door to yep, next to the right. door yep and in the back of our minds we're always thinking okay there's still that back entrance but the uh owner of the resident or the garage believed that there were, there's no way they could figure out how to get out of the back. So come around to the time, they said they're going to exit. Um, at the time, we were speaking to them by a throw phone. Um, and basically, it's essentially a throw phone. It's got a phone. It's corded back to our uh, negotiators. And they said they're going to give up. So we all moved up in a position uh, inside the residence, and we formulated a contact team. Well, I was one of the one of the ones that was on the contact team to go make contact outside the residence. Uh, Chief Dossinger remained inside at a window to hold cover on the garage as we contact make contact. Two individuals exited the man door and were ordered towards us and took the necessary. Remember who that was? Who came out there? This would have been uh, Josh Southwick and. Uh, been Angela. Angela. Yeah, because yeah. they were boyfriend, girlfriend, soon to be married type thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they, they complied. Um, and about the time we went to go um, place them in handcuffs was when the Wild West began. <laughs> um, two, Ashton and Jacqueline, exited the, the west side of the garage, which would be the back side of the garage. And began running northbound. Yeah, that was that was the door we we had initially we assumed. That. that was that was screwed shut. Yeah. It was never going to be able to. Right. Uh, they exited and it they ran northbound toward one of our sniper positions that we had set up, and basically, essentially, it was a squad car that they're hovering behind, using as cover, and started popping rounds off. Um, they both had handguns in their hands and each hand, and they're handcuffed together. And there's nothing I can describe it as that they came out like Bonnie and Clyde. It's the only way I can describe it. Um, they were going to go down in a blaze of glory. Um, at that time, I, and I'm this from obviously learning over the years, you're not supposed to, I, I was on the contact team. Uh, my immediate 
my, I just turned and I looked and seen them firing. So I, we have a, a, a threat. So I fired my service weapon and pretty soon it was all over there down. So we have the two in the custody. We got these two laying out in the middle of the yard area, approximately, I would say 60, 70 yards away. And, uh, they're laying there. We just, we get the two in the custody. We move them back. Pull the mic up a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Move, move the two back. They're in custody. We decide to move up there with bunker gear or bunkers, basically shields. Um, we moved up there as a bunker team. And as we're moving up, we're a few yards from the back of the garage and we hear another gunshot. We're like, well, she just shot herself in the chest with a handgun. So we continue moving up where we uh, got him into custody and aid was rendered by the, the West Dakota SWAT team medic. He essentially saved their lives. Yeah, that's heavy. I mean, because there, there was a barrage of fire. There was. And after speaking with the rest of the TAC, our TAC team, it was, they were there back, I later found out they were back there doing officer down drills and drills to um, continually uh, uh, be able to respond and react accordingly to what was taking place. And then they hear all the gunfire. And uh, there was a lot of concern that I heard from other of our TAC team members of knowing that our own TAC team members are up in that area, mm-hmm. in the hot zone. Um, there was a lot of emotions going on at that time. A lot of unknown. A lot of unknown. Yeah. Because then, at that time, I think um, the, strategically that the, our team had been just kind of put on the back as, as a backup in, in Bismarck SWAT. Um, Metro correct. down there had West Dakota. Our they team had, was so. essentially on stand down to, you know, to if this did prolong, we could move up and take over. And in, in uh, Metro at that time, West Dakota, excuse me, that, that the much larger team that time, I mean, they brought, uh, do you guys remember, maybe 20 operators? Yeah, yeah. They, they, had, yep. they had a good contingent there. And, and we had, I mean, us as a SWAT team were probably only four years deep into experience. Mm-hmm. Our team had only been around since two, 2004. Mm-hmm. This is probably the, the biggest, you know, incident that we've had to deal with. So it, uh, it was important that, that we had that, that backup there. And going back to the air support that we had, it was phenomenal because we had information that they were possibly going to exit it and wasn't our time the timing that we had when we were moving up to um evacuate the occupants the the our aircraft would buzz the place <laughs> and essentially keep them inside that garage yeah. it was it was a one heck of a tactic on the that yeah uh, with with the weather operator. the way it was too oh absolutely yeah, it's snow it's certainly snow in fact i remember uh one of, one of the investigative interviews with with the, one of the females she had said that made some mention on how she had a dream about about this, about how um, she, she was, someone was going to die while it was snowing out. She made that that yes, type of thing. I, I remember, remember that? that yeah. yeah. So that's pretty coincidental. They, um, and uh, they they lived. They they, lived they, they were treated here, I think, at St. Joseph's Hospital for a period of time, right? Hefty bill. And uh, ended up obviously all of them ended up seeing their their day in court. Um, I know Mike, you wrote some notes down here for us. On that one, on the specifics of the sentencing, looks like we had Jacqueline, 20 years, 12 suspended. Angela, she was 20 years, 10 suspended. Ended up actually was released in 17. And Ashton, he was 20 years, a straight time for robbery. And then Josh was 20 years, straight time for attempted murder. And um, 
got a couple of notes past that. But. Yeah, and and uh, it uh, it was it was a long extended medical. medical I remember having to post uh, officers up up there for security when it came time for trial. I, I know we had an additional SWAT call out for that because we we had some information that a, that a biker gang was going to potentially try to uh, break these guys free uh, during transport from jail to court. I mean that that was uh, that, right. that was crazy. Yeah. Well, and the. the, the I, People should probably realize too. I mean, I was on the bill on the end of it, the cost yep. that was incurred there from you know, uh, once you know, we end up taking custody and, and enter these folks. Let's just keep it simple and arrest them and enter them, and, and now they have these injuries and they need to be medically cared for. We end up with the bill for that taxpayers do, if you want to say, and so that was about eighty grand, eighty eighty thousand, I think was the last report of that. And yeah. so don't uh, you know you can fact check that people out there, but it, it was hefty. I know it was, a, it was a very very large medical bill. It was a medical bill, and, and essentially the other things that were damaged at the residence as well. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty amazing stuff, Jeremy. It's, uh, I, I know. I, I think I was looking at numbers the other day. I mean, CFS as you've been attached to over time. You know, over a couple hundred thousand? I don't know. Over the whole total time? I haven't looked. I'm not even sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I honestly haven't looked. And, you know, going back, looking back at those, that 2008 to 2014 time frame was essentially like the wild, wild west then. Yeah. And it was like, is this how my career is going to yeah. be for, the, for 25 years? Well, yeah. We're going to be nonstop like this? 2009 was the year from hell. That was right? uh, this. We had uh, the, the tornado, tornado. Uh, the DSU softball. Um, Students that, that ended up drowning in North Town. Yeah, that, another, another homicide, I believe, right around this time too. So, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and those are going to be those are going to be great stories when we get some other officers here down the road and and talking. To, so, maybe Jeremy. I mean, it's been good. Um, what about <laughs> uh, anything to wrap up on, on from your end, career-wise here? Or maybe some things. I, I think it's important uh, for the listeners. Um, some perspective from a guy that's been here as long as you with the family and stuff to the community, current status of the department, advice for young guys uh, that are looking to do the job, advice for our young officers. You know, we're very fortunate here in Dickinson. Um, we have the community support and we uh, focus on the community support as much as possible. We, we're, we like to get out in the community, gain that respect, and we have that Ultimately, we have that respect from a majority of our Dickinson citizens. And then knowing that we have that support, I mean, that's, that's money right there. That's straight up uh, a lot of comfort knowing that. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, this is uh, good segue. Finish it on I a good... I think so. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. I like it here. Let's uh, speed cuffing. You heard it right there. <laughs> You heard the noise in the headphones, I hope. So this is, uh, yeah. <laughs> actually, um, and so th- this is going to be a part of it we do, Jeremy. This is just spitball some, some questions at you. you got to try to get through these as fast as you can in 30 seconds. If you don't get through them, that's okay. And if you want to pass and come back to it later, we got time. You get through them all, we can do that too. Remember, I'm the first one, so I get extra points. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. I think that's so, how it goes. Uh, but... Mike, you'll, you'll key up the music here on it. Are you ready, set? Here we go. All right. Birthday of the Marine Corps. 1775, November 11th. November 10th. Oh. Elk or bighorn sheep? Bighorn sheep. Name of the first naval vessel you boarded? USS Cleveland. Drew Brees or Philip Rivers? 
Philip Rivers, I guess. <laughs> Cap Lejeune or Camp Pendleton? Camp Pendleton. Name of the Marine Corps Bulldog mascot. Oh. Oh. oh yeah. I feel like it may be coming here. Any, uh, want to finish with that one? Good no. Is it? Uh, it's not Chesty Puller. No. Oh, uh, there, well, there you go. Shorten yeah, it up yeah. now. Puller. Chesty. Chesty. There you go. That Chesty. might be, is that a new one? Maybe 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 Chesty wasn't around when uh, when you were in. Honestly, I don't remember oh. calling having a name for the bulldog. Oh. This is just off a of Wikipedia. My Marine Corps friends are probably gonna be calling me shortly. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got through half of them there, so that's good. Um, yeah, I mean, last thoughts, tenant handle anything? Yeah, from this is good. I, I, I'm glad we had uh, Jeremy as as our first uh, subject on here. He's uh, well respected in the community, well respected among our staff. Um, just an all around good uh, good guy. Big, uh, big teddy bear, uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's an honor to work with him. It's, it's um, uh, I'm glad that he's part of our team here. So, yeah, I, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on right away here, James, setting the tone for some of our future, future men and women that we are going to have on here. They got something they can kind of go off of with this. So, really appreciate it. So, all right, absolutely, anytime, man. Well, we, uh, what do you think there, Mike? We want our viewers and listeners. Yeah. yeah, make sure to uh, subscribe Subscribe to us here on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, anywhere you get your podcasts. And then, uh, yeah, we're on our YouTube channel here now. Hopefully, subscribe, click the bell. And uh, got Kelly Armstrong coming up here uh, next episode, likely. North Dakota U.S. Representative, Congressman Kelly Armstrong coming on, talking big topics, police reform, criminal justice reform, local community, defense attorney, you name it. Um, it's going to be good. And so that'll be episode four. Tune in. See you guys later.